you have your Bibles, if you would please turn in them to Philippians chapter 1. Many of you have found our scripture journals, and you can turn in there to those if you'd like. If you don't know what I'm talking about, check out there in the narthex after the service, and you can pick one up. We are in a sermon series this fall on Paul's epistle to the church in Philippi, the book of Philippians. We're going to round out chapter 1 here this morning. Our passage of study will be verses 27 through 30. We believe this to be the very word of God. As if he were to appear out now, outside now in a fiery burning cloud and speak to us, his word this morning is no different written for us. So let's give attention to God's holy inerrant word. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word written for us in our own language that we can understand and read and apply it. So we pray now that your Holy Spirit would teach us, give us eyes to see, ears to hear your truths and your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago, a friend of mine was telling me how he was giving a friend of his at his place of work a hard time because this friend was walking around the workplace telling everybody what a huge college football fan he was of his particular university. My friend suspected that this co-worker was not as big of a fan as he was making himself out to be, so he began to ask him some simple questions to kind of probe at his friend. Questions like, hey, who did your team play in their bowl game last year? He had no idea. Well, who was your team's quarterback? He couldn't tell him. Well, can you tell me anything about your team that you're such a big fan of? Not much. <laughs> this little story illustrates what a watching world can often think of about Christians. You can say you are a Christian, but do you actually act like one? You can believe you are a Christian. But what about the way you live your life? Is the way you live your life distinctively Christian? So here's a question for all of us to wrestle with this morning, and it's it's not an easy question. Am I a Christian not only because I say that I am one, but am I a Christian because my character and my life also reflect that I am one? Or... Am I just pretending to be one because it seems like a nice thing to do? These are hard questions. This hard question could have been at what was the heart of Paul's letter to the church here in Philippi. If you look there in verse 
27, you'll begin to notice that there's a change in kind of the tone and the tenor of his letter. He basically goes from writing about himself, he's talking about his hopes and his desires to live for the glory of Jesus Christ, but the changes to going to writing about his hopes and desires for the Christians in Philippi. And the first word that comes out of his mouth is only, only. Look at there at that verse, that word in verse 27. What he's saying here, only, meaning this is super important. This is a key point that he's about to make in his letter. Here comes a, a truism of the Christian life that he wants the Christians at the church in Philippi to know. And so Paul simply states, only live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, brothers and sisters in Philippi, the, the Christian life, it's about to get hard for you. He's kind of warning them here. So, so pretending will really do you no good. Do not claim Christ if you're not living for Christ. Rather, live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, he says. So in one sense, if you look back in the passage before this, in verses 19 through 26, we talked about last week how Paul was basically explaining what is Christianity? What is Christianity? And that is we love Christ and we live for Christ. That's essentially what he says, that great famous verse, to live for Christ and to die is gain. But in this passage, verses 27 through 30, Paul will now explain for us what is a Christian? So I asked you last week, how would you define Christianity? And we define Christianity as this. It's faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King, the Savior of the world. And so this week, let's contemplate this. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? If to live is Christ and to die is gain, what does someone who lives their life every day for Christ Jesus look like? And let me define it simply like this. A Christian is one who follows Jesus Christ by living their lives, not for themselves, but for Jesus, by walking in his ways and obeying his teachings. That's what it means to be a Christian, to live our lives for Christ. And so Paul, like a good pastor, Exhorting the congregation of the First Presbyterian Church of Philippi. Is that what it says there? Um, he's telling them, here is what it means to be a Christian. And what is the basis of this exhortation? Why is he going there with this? He's saying it's all about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news that God has saved mankind from their sin because he sent his one and only son to die for them so that we might have life. And because of that good news, because of that good news that had been received by the saints in Philippi, Paul wanted to remind them, he wanted to encourage them, he wanted to exhort them to live a life worthy of their calling. We are called, all of us, to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying here is we are to live our lives in such a way that it brings honor and glory to God because of what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. I love the way Matthew Henry put it so well. He says, 
those who profess the gospel of Christ. In other words, those who are Christians. Those who profess the gospel of Christ should live as becomes those who believe gospel truths, who submit to gospel laws, and depend on gospel promises. That's what it means to be a Christian, to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may notice in your Bibles, if you look there in verse 27, that there might be, not every Bible has this, but maybe your Bible has it, there's a footnote after the word worthy. So I need to take a little time to explain this. The reason that this verse has a footnote and might have a little explanation at the bottom of your Bibles or in your study notes is because this passage, particularly this verse, has been notoriously hard for scholars to translate into English. In other words, the, the folks who understand Greek very well, a lot better than I do, they look at that and go, I'm not sure what he's saying. So what we have here in English is the best that they could do. And so let me try to explain this a little more so that we can kind of understand what Paul is saying here in this passage. Uh, there's a Greek word that occurs there that only shows up a couple of times in, in the New Testament. And so scholars have looked at other writings of Greek outside the Bible to better understand this word. And the best that they could come up with is this word speaks of being a citizen of a nation or a city-state. So there's this idea of of citizenship. And so when Paul tells the believers to live a life worthy of the gospel, literally we might translate this as live as a citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live as a citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ. Later, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul will pick up on this theme again of citizenship. Let me just read this verse for you in Philippians 3.20. You can flip ahead if you want. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul begins to explain that the Philippian Christians, their citizenship is actually that of heaven. So what Paul is referring to here is to the Philippian Christians were called and set apart to be a part of a a heavenly kingdom. So therefore, they are first and foremost citizens of this heavenly kingdom. They are citizens of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And like all good citizens of a great nation or kingdom, they ought to take pride in their citizenship. And for a Christian to take pride in their citizenship means they are to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what the apostle is speaking of here in this passage. So with this call to heavenly citizenship, Paul will now exhort the church by stating four characteristics that a Christian who lives a life worthy of the gospel should have. So this passage is going to detail for us four characteristics that a Christian is to have, what a Christian looks like. It's not just four. Uh, There are others that are going to be played out in chapter 2. He's going to speak of things like humility and of being Christ-like. But these four are ones that we'll focus on this morning from this passage. And these four are characteristics of not someone who's pretending to be a Christian, but they're four qualities of one who is follower of Jesus Christ. And so here they are. 
Christian who lives their life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ is one who first stands firm in the gospel. Two, strives in the gospel. Three, is courageous or unafraid in the gospel. And four, suffers for the gospel. Again, there will be other characteristics in the verses that follow, like humility and sacrificial living, but we'll focus on these four this morning. The first, a Christian is one who stands firm in the gospel. That's what he says there in verse 27. This first characteristic that the Apostle Paul exhorts the Christians in Philippi to have is that he hopes to hear that they are standing firm in the gospel. And he adds, in one spirit meaning that they are doing this together. With one spirit means that their Christian lives were not just about each individual, but the whole church, all of the saints living together, standing firm together to ensure that the gospel was and is the most important thing. So he encourages them, he exhorts them, stand firm in the gospel. The language here of standing firm is actually military language. And so you might, might think of soldiers working together as a unit, holding their ground in battle. The idea of standing firm is, and I apologize, this will be the second football illustration. I'll try to stop after this one. It also makes you think of like an offensive or defensive line in football. So if you watch football or following along with it, um, and if you're not, good for you, uh, Run to your other idols. Um, we have our... Um, no, don't run. Your pastor's not supposed to tell you to run to your idols. Don't run to your idols. Forsake them. But back to the illustration. Uh, one thing you'll hear college football analysts talking a lot about is a team's is good or not based on their, their offensive line or their defensive line. And if you don't know who those are, those are like the big 300-pound men who are there to protect the quarterback or to keep the other team from advancing. And these guys got to work together. They got to work together as a unit. One guy can't be the offensive line. One guy can't do everything a defense is supposed to do. They're supposed to be a unit working together to achieve a a common goal. You get the idea here. An offensive or defensive line, they work together, they stand firm, they hold their ground, they struggle side by side, They, they work to be grounded and rooted and firm in what they are called to do. It's the same in the Christian life. We're called to stand firm, rooted, grounded in the gospel, unmoved by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And our calling to stand firm in the gospel and not be moved every day is important in the Christian life. It's it's what's most important. We're called to stand firm and and, and not grow apathetic in the Christian life and and just not caring, but we're we're called to to move forward, to keep growing in our love and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we are grounded and we can keep the gospel the main thing. So the call for the Christians to stand firm, this is actually the first command, the first imperative that appears here in Paul's letter to the Philippians. So the first chapter, he's being, he's pretty, being pretty nice. He's going easy on them. He's, he's got a lot of good and happy things to say, but then he's reminding them, again, like a good pastor, he never told them to run to idols like I did. Uh, he said, no, stand firm. 
Stand firm. Persevere in the gospel. That's the main thing. And that is to know Christ, to love Christ, to live every day with the mission that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Stand firm. He would write something very similar to the Ephesian Christians in that great chapter 6 when he talks about the armor of God. He would say, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand firm in the gospel was his call. That's the first mark of a Christian. The second one, again in verse 27, a Christian is one who strives for the gospel. Strives for the gospel. This is the second thing that the Apostle Paul was encouraging them, that their active and growing faith would look like striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And the idea here is almost the same as standing firm because we must labor, we wrestle, we fight, we strive to maintain our footing. And again, this striving, notice again, it's side by side. It's together, it's with the local church. And what Paul wanted to make sure they were doing was working together to proclaim the gospel to one another and to unbelievers in their community, working together. The Greek word for striving conveys this idea of cooperating vigorously with another person or persons to achieve a common goal. And the idea here is a Christian is not someone who necessarily keeps their religion to themselves. A Christian is one who strives, along with others, to know Christ and to make him known. And that means we're all called to be evangelists. Now, some of you are going, oh, are you serious? We're all called to be evangelists? We're all called to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? To some of you, that may frighten you. You may feel like Moses. You remember when God called Moses at the burning bush and said, Hey, Moses, I'm glad you've enjoyed these last you know, 30 or 40 years of taking care of your sheep, but uh, I've got something else for you to do. I need you to go lead my people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And what did he say? No, you got the wrong guy. I'm not a, I'm not a good evangelist. I, I don't speak well. I don't have gifts. But nevertheless, God called him to the obedience of faith and to spread the good news and to be his leader. It's the same with you. Maybe you don't feel like a good speaker. Maybe you don't have all the Bible memorized. Maybe you don't have the gift of teaching and explaining things. But I do know something that God has gifted every single one in this room, men, women, and children alike. And that is the ability to be friendly. We all have the ability to be friendly. We all have the gift of friendship. And that means being a friend to someone. Have you ever thought about evangelism that way? Have you ever thought that you could simply strive to share Christ with others just by being a friend? How are you today? How was your week? Could I, could I bring you a meal? It sounds like your family's going through a lot. Could I, could I pray for you? I see that you broke your leg. Can I mow your lawn? <laughs> you know? That means that we simply are just sharing our lives with others 
And in that, we look for ways to share the gospel. It doesn't mean that you're preachy, but it does mean you will serve others and look for ways to love your neighbors and hope to to live your life in such a way. This is how Peter instructed the Christians he was writing to. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. That means that you're living your life in such a way that you're friendly, that you're, you're sharing Christ by others are looking at the way you're living your life and going, I noticed that that guy doesn't cheat on his time clock at work. I wonder why he does that. Or I, I noticed that that student wasn't jumping in and, and calling names with the other children. Why, why are they living their lives that way? And what, what Peter was saying, live your life for the honor and glory of Jesus so well, so worthy that others would see your good deeds and go, why? Why are they living that way? And maybe you'll get the opportunity to say, for the glory of my Father in heaven. May God help us all to strive for the gospel that he has called us to live for. Third, a Christian is one who's courageous in the gospel. The next characteristic that the Apostle Paul exhorts the Philippians in is courage. And here he says in verse 28, he calls them not to be afraid or frightened by their opponents. The reason that fear was probably an issue in the Philippian church and why Paul was writing to encourage them in this is because there was a pretty powerful political crowd in ancient Philippi who was not fired up about some Christians going around and telling everybody that they need to submit to Jesus as Lord. The reason why is that Philippi, being a Roman province, they were proud of their connections to Rome. They wanted to be like Rome. They wanted to do as the Romans do. And anything that sought to undermine their political connections to Rome, they saw as an outrage. And they certainly didn't want Christians going around telling folks to, be, to pledge their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ and not the Lord Caesar. So naturally, there would have been some who were hesitant to share the gospel. They were afraid to talk openly about Jesus because they might be arrested or something worse. So in spite of this political climate, the Apostle Paul called them to be strong and courageous and not to fear because God's salvation was on their side no matter what. This same calling that God has for his people in Philippi is the same calling he has had for his people all throughout history. You remember what Moses told Joshua before they were about to go and enter the promised land? They were afraid because there was powerful nations that God had called them to go and take their land. But what was the promise that they were to go with as they went into the promised land? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Same promise here. What about you? Are you worried about being a Christian in the current world that we live in? Are you worried about living out your faith? I think we all need to be on guard right now in the world and the climate that we live in. 
because it is not popular to have biblical values in the current culture that we live in. If you are pro-life or pro-biblical marriage or pro-family values, then you better get ready. Now, I think we've been talking about that in theory for many years now, saying kind of watch out. But I, I think this morning I feel burdened to tell you that just because we live in the South doesn't mean we're insulated from these things. Just yesterday I met a brother who was very publicly persecuted on social media and the media in general because of the biblical values that he held. And he was fired in a very public way from a a worldwide company because of his biblical values. This person lives in Huntsville, Alabama. What he believed was simply what the Bible taught. We must be strong and courageous. And we must believe, as Paul was exhorting the Philippian Christians here, that the gospel is worth fighting for. And we need to know this. The Lord Almighty is on our side. That song that we sang, do not fear, I am the Lord your God. It's the promise we need. The fourth and final thing here is a Christian is one who suffers for the gospel. Look at that in verse 29. We need to look at this very clearly. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. This is something that we do not want to talk, like to talk about, do we? I don't like to suffer. I don't like to hear that you're suffering. We hate suffering. Suffering is a theme that comes up over and over and over in the Scriptures. And I think the reason that it does is because it's real. It's part of life. Christians and non-Christians, we all have to deal with suffering. And if you claim to be a Christian, if your identity is in Christ, then you will and must identify with the Lord Jesus through suffering. Christians suffer. Don't believe that nonsense that's out there, that false teaching that says if you just go to church and give your money and think good thoughts all the time, then your life will be perfect, you will never be sick, and you will be rich. That is all nonsense. It's unbiblical. Paul says very clearly here, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you will suffer for his sake. Not that you might suffer, but that you will suffer. We know that suffering takes on many, many different forms, many different forms. But I think that the suffering that Paul had in mind here when he spoke of suffering was of the religious persecution that they were probably beginning to face and probably definitely will face more and more in the future. So he was preparing them for the truth that Jesus taught his disciples very clearly. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Remember, you may not remember, but Philippians is called one of the prison epistles because Paul wrote it from prison. He was in jail. And so he was in jail for preaching the gospel, for rebel rousing, for causing trouble. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. They put him in jail. 
And the conflict he was engaged with, with the authorities, was the same conflict that the Philippians should expect. I mean, that's what he says. Look there in verse 30. You're engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and hear that I still have. Guys, you need to get ready. The conflict is coming to you. So he wrote to encourage them and tell them, stand firm, strive for the gospel, be strong and courageous and ready for suffering. But Paul didn't end his letter there, did he? He didn't say, good luck with the suffering, guys. No. But their suffering and our suffering should not cause us to lose heart. In fact, it should do the opposite. And that sounds strange. How? Because suffering should remind us of the one who suffered and died for us. The Apostle Peter stated in our verse for meditation this morning, For to this you have been called, that is suffering, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Christ suffered in the most unthinkable way by humbling himself to death, even death on a cross. Jesus suffered and died so that you and I would not have to. He suffered so that we might be brought nigh to God. And that's what the table in front of us means, ladies and gentlemen, is that reminder that Christ suffered for you and me, and that he died, that he rose again, and that he sat down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and the work that he came to accomplish was finished. And so may that truth give us courage this morning. May that gospel hope give us strength to stand firm and live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we we need this word this morning. We need this reminder that you are with us wherever we go, that you sent your one and only son to show your seriousness about this gospel, about this good news, about this life everlasting. So we thank you for the author and perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus. So Lord, we pray for the spirit of Christ to give us strength to stand firm strive, to live a life worthy of the gospel, to to have courage to be able to withstand persecution. Lord, Jesus is worth it. He is worth it. So help us. We pray in his name. Amen.